Hello and welcome to Foscast, the podcast for UK rock band Flower of Zeus. Hi, my name is Pritt. I hope you're well. Uh, excuse my voice, it's been a long day. I've been using it a lot and I think it's finally fed up of me. It's fed up of itself. It's fed up of the sound of itself, so it's it's decided to give up. Thanks for tuning in. Foscast number five, we've got Darling, myself and Greg sitting down for a chat about various things, including the psychology of a musician and good gigs and bad gigs. And we also managed to get meatloaf in there, which is always, always a triumph of a conversation. Um, It was a really nice chat, this one. We enjoyed it. We learned things about each other. Hope you guys enjoy as much as we did. Here it is. I was very lucky because I got um, I got introduced to the guy who sorts my guitars out, Mark Pressling, and um, I got introduced because he used to do seafood's guitar. So our friends used to be in a band called Seafood, um, and I literally got put onto him in uh, in my twenties, and it was when I just got my. Um, fender bullet and i was looking to get it customized and um so i ended up going to seeing him because he was in southall which was just up the road from from where i lived and it's super cool he's just he's just i think he was working for fender at the time but he, he basically at the bottom of his garden he's just got his guitar shed and it's so wonderful when you walk into it it's it's almost like a i can imagine i feel like that's what a kid must feel like when they go to a grotto and they're happy seeing Santa Claus. But like as soon as you open the door, it just smells of glue. It's just really wonderful. It's just got that wood and glue kind of smell in there. And um, and he's, yeah, he's super cool. Like all of his tools come out, you know, like I remember the first time we were talking about what strings I play. And I was, tr- and then embarrassingly, I was like, "Oh!" Uh, and I was just trying to remember which gauge strings I had. And before I said anything, he pulled out this kind of like little kind of haberdasher's kind of spring-loaded thing, and he pulled pulled out a little a gauge, and then stuck it on my strings, and he just screwed something in. And then he was like, "Oh, you play a nine gauge," and he kind mm. of worked it out before I'd even I was while scratching <laughs> around. But he, he he's just a bit of a magician like that. He knows his stuff, and. Um, and then I kind of just, I, I remember giving him the bullet and saying, and explaining what I wanted to do with it. And I didn't really, I, you know, I still don't know much about the kind of intricacies of kind of, you know, guitar hardware. Or how to play it. Or any hardware or how to play it. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. And um, so he, I ended up um, just kind of trusting him. I was like, I just wanted it to sound rock. I think, I, and then we talked about humbuckers and it was like, yeah, I think I want, want to do that. Then he was saying, well, we could split the humbuckers, have a five-way switch, and then, you know, use the single coils in each of them. And I was like, just just do what you think. And then he was the one who kind of went, I think, because that was the thing. It was really beautiful. It was, it was watching someone with a passion, but then watching someone with a flair for, flair for what made a good guitar, because he was like, yeah, we'll go humbuckers. And then he was the one who suggested... Let's go, I'll go, we'll go to the Seymour Duncans and I can't even remember which model they were. He's going, but let's make it silver. I was like, yeah, silver sounds nice, like, because he's getting hardware. And that was it. That's So he just basically decided for me that that was a silver look. And then he changed all that, all, he literally ripped out all the electronics in it, re, re-plumbed it, stuck all the silver hardware on and then gave me my two silver. Um, and then obviously because with a bullet you've got that metal scratch plate so that's mm. that's how the bridge works it's just the scratch plate that pulls around and it's pretty ropey it's quite it's quite a difficult thing when a, when a, a guitar's not very stable when it's reliant on just like a static bridge right so but he's just made it good like it's it like all each one of the little kind of i don't even know the words from the nuts at the bottom where the strings kind of go off they're all tunable and you can set the intonation. The saddles. Button. Saddles, that's it. Wow. So he's, set, he, he's, he's just really set the saddles nicely on the, on the metal plate like and, and they just work and they glide and they move, you know. So 
you can tune that thing and you can you can set the intonation and it's all wonderful it, it plays but, but then he he plucked all of the frets out refretted the whole thing i remember when it, when he unveiled it for me because it was literally like give me a couple of weeks and then i went back to his little shed and then he just kind of had it on the on on the bar and, and i was just like whoa <laughs> I think I'm going to fall in love with this thing. That was the feeling. I felt like I had this new, new love in my life. I was like, yeah. And I did. I felt, you know, I don't give a shit about any of my material possessions apart from my guitar. That's the one thing I, I actually genuinely have a love, like a, I care about. And, but it's really wonderful how, how I've kind of, because I've noticed I've had it probably about I think maybe you've done that 16, 17 years ago, but like I've weathered it in. You know, you know when you weather an instrument in yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when it really starts to feel like your glove, doesn't it? It's a, it's a very, yeah. it's a very different feeling to, there's something wonderful about something new when you're playing something new, but when you started, when your hands gone into shaping your instrument, it becomes a very, it's a very mystical thing. And I'm sure mm. other people but, who aren't musicians wouldn't w- would think that was silly. I think I think that's the sad thing about being a drummer because you you have to have loads of different parts. You can't become attached to a drumstick because you break it. You can't become <laughs> attached to the drum key, a drum kit because drum key, <laughs> the key, the key. Well, maybe yeah. I do have a drum key. I've had actually for probably 20 years. I would be sad if I that lost That is it. important. So yeah. maybe maybe that's a very good point there, Dali. But I do think um, I can't really become... Like, I love a few parts of my drum kits, but I wouldn't hesitate in playing a different drum or, you know, snare drum or whatever. Um, because as well, it it doesn't... You, you only feel your drumsticks or you feel... You can feel the sound, obviously, with the drums because you feel the reverberations, but you don't get that connection, I don't think, the same way a guitarist does with their guitar. That's interesting. Yeah. What, so what, when, do you, when do you feel good on the drums? What's going on when you're feeling good? When you can play them without someone telling you to play them differently. You know, like completely uninhabited. Just like if you want to play softly, cool, whatever... I usually play loudly, but that's not because I'm hitting them as loudly, as hard as I can possibly physically do. It's more because the way I play with plenty of rim shots and um, and also like I pull my hand away quite quickly so you get a lot of reverberation from the drum. Mm. I like to think that I can get a good sound out of a shit drum kit because of the way I play. And that's mm. through practicing on being a lefty and playing loads of other people's kits and whatever. But um, yeah, that's probably when when I'm not told to to be quiet or top or and when everything just sounds good. You know, you go in some rehearsal rooms and you like fucking hell, that was so easy because the rehearsal room sounds great. You're not getting loads of boom in the bass or like mm. a railway noise. I don't know. There's all these kinds of things, aren't there? But um, yeah, when I don't know, you must, you guys must feel exactly the same way with getting a good tone. You know, when you have to borrow an amp or you forget a pedal or whatever might happen, and you just plug in and you're like, this amp or whatever it might be, or the room often has a big bearing on it, but you just give it a bit of welly and and you're like, Shh. you immediately you just back off and you're like, yeah, sweet, I've got the tone already. And then usually someone else in the band's having a shit time, <laughs> but you're you're like, oh well, this, I've got a really great tone. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I suppose really that's sorry the, for that you. is the thing about rehearsal rooms. You know, like you get to, you never have the same experience. I don't think you have the same experience in the same rehearsal room either. True. Yeah, and plus it's all about mental state as well. If you've got positive attitude in your brain, or you're just feeling good that day, or you haven't played in a while, often is a good thing. Um, it's it feels interesting. good to just play, doesn't it? I, I feel that way about gigs. Like there's a, there, I think there's because it's interesting because there's a parallel with there must be a parallel with the sports psychology that's involved with like a sports person having to to just to get into the zone, just as they're doing a, playing sports. 
but I feel a similar kind of thing. Like there's a there's a mindset that you have to tune into to have a good gig, right? Or am I making that up? Or is that just me? Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes you can have, like, if it starts, usually I find, if it starts with you can find a parking space or the load-in is easy. And then the next thing is you meet the sound man. He's like, yeah, how's it going, man? Do whatever you want. Yeah, it's cool. Um, oh, yeah, two of the bands haven't turned up today and you're both left-handed, so just don't worry about it. Just set the drums up and then you meet the drummer and he's like, yeah, 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 it's cool. Let's show all the kit. And <laughs> and then, you know, the, the place fills up because the other band has got loads of people coming or whatever it might be or loads of your mates have decided to turn up. And then it's just like everything's cool. Um, and then usually something shit happens during the gig or whatever. But was you it, have a good was sound it, uh, check or I don't know. W- w- was it last night you had this dream? <laughs> it's, it's happened to me a few times. And I've probably this played... Week. And were they your best gigs 3, ever? 3,000 gigs. I've probably played a lot of gigs. Maybe not 3,000, but I, I must have played at least 1,000 gigs, I reckon. I reckon that's probably about right. But I mean, and that's a very precarious... I can name for probably five where it's been just amazing. I would say that that's a very precarious way to kind of undertake a gig because you're completely reliant in that situation on, on external factors, right? Yeah, but when the... I, you get that feeling and... Well, you always are anyway with a gig, right? You're always um, dependent on external factors, but I don't know. Sometimes everything just aligns and you're just... Uh, you can play really freely. I suppose I so. That's, that's, that is one of the aspects. I suppose, yeah, it, there's no reason why it shouldn't be dependent on external factors. That's the point of doing a gig. Otherwise, you play songs in your house, um, where there's <laughs> yeah. a lot more control. But... You know, you want those external factors because the external factors usually always an audience, right? And it's usually always yeah the 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 energy that's going on in above in the performance. Um, I don't know, like what's that's that's interesting. I'd like to know. I'd like to know what your best gigs were. That's a that's a difficult question, actually. I, no, none of them stand out to me more than the other I don't know in a memorable way I've had I've had good gigs <laughs> I can name I can name gigs where where you're like where you um where the sound on stage was amazing um and that has only happened and when I, I now I know what amazing sound is on stage so I played a show um what is it called it's at Butlins for the Madness Weekender thing And um, with the clan group that we did. And we played we played a show on Friday. Everyone got trashed on Saturday and whatever. And then I think it was the Sunday morning uh, or Sunday afternoon, we played this slot on the main stage thing. And we had, because we were with Clive, we had um, all of the Madness crew were doing our sound. And it was one of those ones where... Um, All of the kit was ferried around on carts and stuff. And they they brought all of the kit um, to the side of the stage. Then this guy was like, uh, um, I'll help you set up the drum kit. I was like, okay, cool, fine. Um, and so he was setting it all up right. And I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and then this guy came over to me. He's like, what kind of mix do you want in your, your monitor? And I was like, oh, you know, just a bit of everything. Really. I like to feel like I'm in the crowd, if ideally, because it was a big stage and big two wedges, you know, like they have on the big stages. And so I was like, yeah, just a bit kind of like front of house, really. He was like, okay, cool, that's fine. And then we we did the sound check. And during the sound check, the guy was walking around with the iPad, whatever. And he came over and he was listening in, he kind of mixed it. Um, and then I was just like, wow, everything has just like come alive a bit. And he was like, you want it a little bit up? Yeah, a little bit up. It's like, yeah, yeah, cool. It was like... I was out front and I was just like, shit, this is what, because obviously the equipment was bang on. It was the, the, the main band's kit. So mm. whatever, you know, it's going to be the top notch stuff, but just the, the attention that we got as well. And mm. the fact that they cared and that they had the kit to back up that care. I remember that gig we played really, really well. Mm. And, um, 
and it just felt really good. I think we probably played to 2,000 people, but in a 10,000 space, so it felt quite empty. But um, it felt, it was amazing just because everything, like the reassurance you get on a big stage with a really good rig mm. as a drummer is, because you can get really lost on a big stage as a drummer. Um, mm. You don't hear anything, you don't feel anything. Um, but that was, that was outstanding sound. I was just felt, didn't even have to like protect my ears because he had it down low, but it was really just such a solid rig. That was, mm. that's the best sound on stage I've ever had. And I'm sure I ever will. Because I think I'm also my worst enemy with on sound stage because I'm like, more of this, more, 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 more. And then you end up with everything too loud. And then you're like, oh, fuck, actually turn everything down. I think they know that anyway. And they Classic you, but, drama. But it's because... Um, because you yeah, play you loud. can't also instruct you have to learn to drum and go you know like yeah. drum with one hand and do all this like hand signal stuff um whereas you know you can walk around if you've got a guitar or a, if you're a singer anyway yeah what about you darling yeah what's yours bet what's your best what are we after what 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 facts are we after? no after, this, is it. this is, is it i'm, your I'm best intri- gig? yeah let's without any kind of influence just Tell, oh, okay. us, tell us what your best gig was and, and why it was the best. I, I, I do remember very well. It's um, it's a funny thing, though, because I have two, and um, they are totally different to each other. So one of them was actually when I auditioned for you guys, sort of, and then I had to drive. I had to drive to this gig. I had to actually drive to Mill Hill, pick up a PA, Load I the car. That. I remember that. It was frost. There was frost on the street, and my ABS didn't wasn't working. I remember uh, it, that night and then, because and I remember then thinking I, for you, feeling for you. I, I, I was, and then and then from the from that place, I drove down to Ealing Broadway to do this gig, and I was totally like, when I arrived there, I was already knackered. I was, you know, I was out, and then the drummer didn't turn up. So yeah, it was yeah. everything was everything was basically wrong, mm. and we, we felt like, so we spoke to this manager, and he said, hey, "Go on, just do the gig." So it was two guitars and bass, uh, me on bass, and uh, it was the best gig ever. I don't know why. We just the feeling that the crowd, the people loved it. It was just it felt really good, and then I had to drive the PA back home. But after all that madness, it was actually one of the best gigs in in a small place. But the other one was years ago. Uh, it was totally different because um, I played in Prague. Uh, it was this gig. In the evening, they had one, around 100,000 people watching. I was uh, with a support band. I, I played with this girl singer, and we were on at around 4 or 5 in the afternoon. We maybe had 20,000 people in front of us. And it was the same place where the Rolling Stones played the day before, I mean, sorry, the, uh, the year, uh, one year before this, mm. it was the same place in Prague, open space. It was, it was where the revolution took place as well uh, back in 1989. So I played there and then I, it wasn't the actual gig, but it was the sound check because I saw this, you know, huge place. You can actually fit probably quarter of a million people there if, if, if you wanted to. And, um, and I was there, and this sound guy just talking to me through the um, through the monitor, saying, "You know, give give me something on guitar." But he, I, I couldn't even see him. I don't know. He was he was too far. So I thought I better I better strum. I was I was on guitar then, so I just put my chorus and I strummed the um, I played the opening to Papa Rain by Prince. Yes, but because there were no people there of yet, you did. <laughs> it was in the morning. I crashed my car the, the day before that as well, so I was a bit shaky. But um, I um, I strummed, uh, you know, I did this opening part, and uh, the sound came back from that space like with a big delay, mm. uh, like an echo, and it was this incredible. There were no, there was no audience yet, but it was this incredible feeling uh, that I've never experienced before mm. that or after that. I think it was to do with the the open space and the way the sound returned through the massive uh, speakers. Mm. from somewhere i don't know back from the woods or some houses miles away and it was it was actually it was the best sound i've ever heard on stage as well uh, but yeah like i said i mean but the uh some of the small gigs can be it also depends on wh- who you play with if if the lineup is good if you've got four really mm. cool bands 
who are mates and uh, who play similar stuff to you, then you can have a laugh. Mm. If it's not like that, if if it feels like a competition, then it's then it's quite crap, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. I, I you know I had I, I I myself played loads and loads of gigs as well. So but these were these were kind of those that I remember actually. Yeah, sweet. I, I think, think it's almost a shame when you play too many gigs, isn't it? When you when you fit too many in in one in one time, they it becomes a bit of a a not a bore but laborious. Hmm. I'd rather have that than what is happening at the moment. Yes, of course, of course, of course. That goes without saying. But I think, you know, back when times were normal um, and, you know, I don't know, when in my early 20s or whatever, when it's just like plowing, doing a gig, doing a gig, doing a gig, it becomes a bit of a gig by numbers and um, and it spoils it a bit because... You know, you you think, oh fuck, I've got to listen to the support band again. But actually, or or more often than not, you are the support, and you've got to live, listen to other supports. I should say, because actually, I used to hate headlining ever, um, but because that was the short straw for me, because you don't ever get any of the other bands' crowds. Um, but yeah, God, just I think it was probably when it was like 2008 or something like that print and we were doing gigs i was doing gigs with other, all these different bands and i was just like became quite disenfranchised with it and it's such a shame because now i think i, now I, think I remember the time think, i remember the yeah. time i think it was when we were it, it was when we were doing gigs with with zeus as a two piece and um i remember it being i remember it being not fun for you and therefore it was kind of like mm, let's and I think I think that's probably what naturally kind of like when we when we took a natural kind of hiatus on it, it was just it was quite easy to put a pause on it one month all of a sudden, and then that had turned into three, and then we weren't kind of picking a phone up to each other yeah. and saying, "Hey, we should get back out there and play a gig." So, but I I know what you mean, and I th- but then it's quite interesting because because what Dali was saying from his experience, and I suppose what you're saying as well. Is it, like I'm. I don't know if I've got like a favorite gig, but all I know I've got snapshots of reasons why I'm a musician, mm. and they happen at gigs. And yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't, you know, like none of them sum up to that. That was my best gig. But like, yeah, like Dali was saying, like the fact that he had one of his best moments in the sound check. It's like I think it always relates to moment. Like it relates to uh, a, an event or a singular moment, or it certainly does with me. Because I remember when, ju- just an example, I, I think it was um, when you were telling me about the, how <laughs> your gig, Dali, when the drummer didn't even turn up and things were going wrong, and all of a sudden this strange thing happens where you have this great gig at the back of it. And I remember when, um, so my our band in the tw- in our 20s when we when when i you know you always have a band that you, was your band that you kind of put your part into and that was you, that was your band so our band in my 20s was called i own kings and it started it was kind of like uh started as a three piece i suppose like i was invited to collaborate with johnny and alex and then we we quite quickly assembled other bandmates and and very soon there was recording and production going on at the same time that we were trying to play a gig with this with this stuff that we were recording and it was all very organic and quick because i remember we'd produced the first thing that we did like the boys came over to my 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 mum's place i mean we must have been young it was probably like early 20s and because i got this new mac and i got my new production computer I was like, yeah, come over, I'll record you and and like let's 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 do something, let's knock something out. And we ended up knocking out this this tune with no expectations. And it was just a mishmash of beats and sampled stuff and singing and rock and it was it was what the template of the band ended up being. And we were just doing what we did, but which is always the best at the beginning because there's no inhibitions and you've got no, you, you know, you're not second guessing yourself and it's always just kind of no self consciousness in it. So we knocked this tune out and it was great. And we, I think it was, it was called the new cock strut and we knocked it out on the I weekend. That. You do. Yeah. I'll probably play <laughs> it. Yeah, it's the best yeah, thing we've yeah, ever done. Yeah, yeah. So we, we no, knocked this thing to the dance floor is the best thing you ever did. So that was, that was pretty good. Whatever. So we knocked this, we knocked this tune out on a, on the weekend I think we kind of like started on the 
Saturday, Friday night, maybe the boys came over two nights, finished it on the Sunday evening. They went away with the CD. I burnt a CD. They went away with the CD. They played it either that night or the weekend after to uh, a bunch of other musician friends. And um, um, one set of those musicians' friends were in Seafood, who, 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 who oh, I've mentioned twice now in the same podcast. But they were they were play, they were going to go on XFM the the weekend afterwards because they were just doing like a takeover thing where they were just kind of doing like desert island discs kind of playing records for ages and they were like oh we'll try and play this so it literally within the space of two weeks we produced this track and then in two weeks later it got played on XFM and we were we, and we were really boosted from it we were like yeah we should do more everyone loves us we're we're going to be fucking famous this is easy so. We we ended up very quickly like producing lots of material, doing lots of recording. It was a hodgepodge of various different styles. We got like Matt involved in it, and Matt was like this glitchy kind of electronic producer. He was coming in doing his glitch stuff in the production. Then we were getting Paul to drum because he was the only drummer who was around. He was the flatmate of Alex and Johnny, and he was like in the drum and bass at the time. So we had this weird drum and bass drummer like uh, playing with us. Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul yeah. Woodhead. Shout out to Paul Woodhead, and then. Um, so and then we'd very quickly assembled a crew and then we went we went out to play and i remember um i remember playing our first gig and we went to wales we went to wales to play our first gig because a, a, a friend of matt's was in a band called talk show and they were doing and they're from wales and they were doing a show in wales and we were getting very serious advice from inside the band. I won't say who, but he was like, we can't play a London gig straight away. It's our first gig. We need to do a warm-up. He's like, yeah, but we got to go to fucking Wales. Like, let's, let's just go up to Maidenhead. Like, There's it's some logic it's, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we ended up doing this trek to Wales. It was super fun. We played this show, and it was our first show, and it was fun. It was nice, and we had a load of, like, tech gear that some of it worked, some of it didn't, and it was kind of like, yeah, we could do this. We'll just, just get a London show booked in. We ended up booking a London show, and it was okay. It was cool. Like, we were still figuring out what we were doing, and I remember at that first gig, um, this – a girl called Aidy was there and she was a she was a writer for this little blog at the time that that, that I hadn't even heard of because I didn't even know what a blog was then. This was how long ago it was. And it was called Drowd in Sound, which obviously became a good tastemaker blog. And she was she came up to us after the gig and she was like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna write a review of you guys. And we were like, Oh, cool, all right, cool. And um and then Alex was like, she's from Drowning Sound. That's a big deal. And I was like, oh, really? I'd never heard of it. Um, so we ended up getting this this review. And not only that, she just became like this in, in Dorsey at Drowning Sound for us. And she was like, I'm going to get some of the other guys because to come Sean, down. Sean, wasn't it Sean, the guy? So Sean Adams, who, yeah. who run, ran Drowning Sound. I think he still is the, the head honcho of Drowning Sound. He, he, he does all the social um, BBC Music 6 six music now um and he him and a couple of other people came down and ad again came down to the third gig and they all loved it as well and but and literally off the back of that it was kind of like they were we were buddies with them like it was kind of like they were interested in us and we'd done and at this point it was not like we hadn't we'd done very little we'd done a lot of work like just writing songs and getting them together and just getting out there but I think literally off the back of that, that was our second gig. I think our third gig, they organized for us and they organized us a headline show at the Dublin Castle. And uh, yeah. I think Sean actually had kind of put the word out and said, come down and see these guys. And he'd got a load of, I think he'd got a load of industry people to come down and see us. And some bad choices were made that night. I had like a, <laughs> a, a, a tiger... <laughs> A tiger print pink um, sleeveless T-shirt on, Mate, which that sounds fucking sick. Sounds cool. I think it was. I think it was complete polyester. So all it did was just sweat and just cling to my nipples all night. And then um, Matt, I pay for that right now. If I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's early. Like Matt ended up getting um, very 
very drunk literally and 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 getting panicky at the sound check so much so we had this really delicate rig it was it wasn't like these days where you you can plug a load of midi gear in it all works we had this like massive rack i mean it probably only had two machines in it but i needed like seven bits of outboard just to work right and it was all plugged in with old din midi cables and various oh, things like that man hardcore and that and that is that's external factors to the. So we the we had this we had this massive rack that was like in the corner where, where Matt was like where he was kind of like triggering it all with a keyboard and stuff like that and the sound check the the sound guy literally gave us ten minutes as it was one of those ones. Yeah, and he was like, right, D rig, get off the stage. And for some reason, Matt just lost it, turned, went to the back and started ripping out all the MIDI cables, which took us like months to what? burn. He, he was just in another dimension. And then by the time I the think, gig went on, yeah. I think it was, it was pretty, he was pretty zany. And then I remember like the sound check was happening, like the, the bit before you go on stage and like we, we were on obviously. Line about, check, line check. The line check just ahead of the gig. So we're, you know, and it was 10, it was about quarter past 10 and you know, you need to be in stage for that last slot in London because people want to get the tube home really. Yeah, right? yeah, that's yeah. essentially all that's really happening. And I remember it just took like ages and all of a sudden my guitar wasn't working. I couldn't get any signal out of it. And I've turned around and none of the band were on stage at all because they'd all gone off to the, to, to the green room just, just ahead of coming on. And I was just there trying to sort out rig. So it all become technical. Actually, you guys have both seen me in that situation before, yeah. right? Yeah. So it was just quite nasty. And I had Sean coming up to me at the front of the stage and going, when are you on? And he's a, he's the nicest guy ever. It's his name right? as well. It's his name, isn't it, that he's put out there for you? Yeah, exactly. And he's the sweetest guy ever, but he was actually coming up and looking pissed off and going, what the fuck are you guys doing? Just when are you, when are you starting? You know? And I was like, yeah, just a second. Like it was just, and it got to the point where Alex's mum was coming up to me and going, what are you doing? When are you going on? So, and then I've ended up kind of like, all of a sudden I've just pressed on something and the sounds come through my amp and I'm like, oh great. Okay. I got a line check. Great. I need to go and get the fucking band because we should all be on stage. And then I've walked into the fucking green room and everyone's fucking uh, high-fiving each other like they've just finished the gig. And I'm like, you fucking dickheads, get on the stage. Yeah. Like we, we, everyone's just about to go home. Let's go. And so we walked onto the stage and it was just one of those things where it was way too early. We, we, we still weren't good enough. This whole thing was way too exciting. Everything about it was just too much energy and we played a shit shit gig sorry i know we're supposed to be doing good gigs but like i'm just going straight to my shit gig <laughs> but like it was it was just difficult and and it was the whole thing felt like one big massive cringe and i don't see how it couldn't have come across as a cringe to everyone else and and it was and it was evident like you you know those type of gigs literally as a gig's happening it's thinning out in swathes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and know. and that last the last song was literally like it was fuck we were asking for mercy there was like a few <laughs> people left in the crowd i think maybe even like sean was just kind of like nodding his head in the corner with ad and yeah and then we never, and then we, you know, there was no talk of anything after that with the Drowning Sound guys because they were even talking about, you know, Sean was talking about doing a label and doing a singles label. You know, there was conversations about that. But that kind of all kind of got quiet. But it was, we blew it. But I think it was good because it was very early on. And I remember we'd done a, we all went out on the road and we went and done a gig in Wolverhampton because like Dave, I was like, oh, seafood are playing out. We're, we're doing a little tour. Why don't you come and jump on and do a number somewhere? We were like, oh, that'd be fantastic. And I can't remember which venue they were playing in Wolverhampton, but it's a Civic really Hall. nice kind of, it's a really nice kind of like four, three, 400 kind of venue. Yeah, yeah. Wolverhampton Civic Hall. I, think I can't it was. remember. It was the toilet tour. The toilet tour was that and like, not the lead the lead mill back room and yeah it's a nice big ob oblong room Kent. it's a yeah it's a yeah, real yeah. big oblong room but it, we we ended up playing that one and it was a similar thing we we kind of 
we were put on the promoter obviously conceded to a request by the main headlining act but just did not give a fuck and it was kind of like yeah yeah yeah, guys get on yeah sort of thing and we'd done a similar thing we got on we weren't given any time for sound check we got on what we thought was a sound check but then we were informed as we're standing on stage this is a line check and then we were like oh shit and literally we're taking our duffel coats off and turned around and there's five kids up against the barriers and it's just like what's going on it's like doors are open play it was literally like that and we were like oh, oh shit no. so it was it was like a quick line check of everything and then we started playing and and it was difficult you you know what it's like if you haven't done the sound check some things are working some things aren't you know and we're into the first song and and we used to do a lot of kind of instrument swapping as well, which was a fucking appalling idea. But we did, that was just part of the setup. And um, I remember this thing happened on, we had a song called Leave the Cities and it's in 6-8 and, and, it, and, and it does this big massive build at the end. And then there's this massive kind of rock explosion at the back of it. And we played our way through it. And the place was really filling up because obviously a lot of kids had come out and see seafood. So it was just getting all quite buzzy and stuff. And there's some people paying attention, a lot of people that are not, but a lot of noise. And we're playing this delicate song that will erupt at the back of it. And it's going to be one of the big moments in our set. And I remember we kind of came, this build was happening and it was, it's, it's quite a few bars. And all of a sudden, the explosion bit came to kick in and it's just like bang and then Alex's bass just cut out right and it cut oh. out it just cut out ahead of the on the oh. band and then it was just one of those things you know when everyone's going full throttle full weight so the rhythm the, you know the rhythm section is half missing right and so Paul's just smashing it up trying not to play a drum and bass lick and then uh, we're all kind of like it was just one of those moments where we kind of like looking, you could see the whites in the eyes of your bandmates as they're like kind of looking around. And Alex was kind of like looking at this smoking head on this like base cabinet and just trying to kick it and thump it as it is, you know, going to the floor and checking if it is trying to bypass a pedal, you know, all that kind of panic stuff that you're doing. And we've kind of cycled around in about, you know, there's been eight bars of this kind of very lightweight, loud drumming and guitar and then all of a sudden we just heard this like and you you knew Alex had sorted his signal problem out and with great restraint he like we were coming up to the back of like four bars and with great restraint and measure he just he just kind of knew he had a signal and didn't come in and he he turned around and we all just looked at each other we were all looking at each other and then that I Paul might have even done a little announcement and then it was just like bang and then we all came in together so we we'd almost suspended this big thing and the drop in inevitably ended up happening but it happened at a complete wrong place and it only happened through communication and a moment and we mm. seldom did that so and i remember everyone at the back of the gig was in the, in the room at the back going oh we, that went so badly and I was boosted. I was like, that's the best gig we've ever played just because of that moment. Because of a bit of communication as well. Just because the moment is the most important thing. Like it, all you want and all you want is a moment, you know, like that's what a gig is. If, if ever you think of your favorite gigs, you know, like I can think of my favorite gigs and there's been something very special that's happened. Mm-hmm. In the space that we're all inhabiting, you know, it's not just there to gaze adoringly at some fucking indulgent twat on a stage you know that's not the purpose of a gig the purpose of a gig is obviously the 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 band are the conductors of what should be an energy that everyone gets to participate in and if it works well there's this wonderful feedback that happens and all of a sudden this energy it feels bigger than whatever everyone's conducting and participating and it just feels like we're here together you know they're the best bits well that's what excites me about what's to come because we always talk about the shit bit of covid but actually is it coming towards this amazing crescendo of like kicking your amp and suddenly the signal comes in everyone gets a jab in the arm 
Next summer, man. Fuck. That is something to look forward to now. I genuinely believe that. Like, yes, we've had so much shit and it's been terrible. Everything's a bit of a downer right now. But the one little glimmer of hope is is next summer. I think. If it is the summer. Whenever it is. Who cares about the time thing? But at some point, we're going to be able to go back to gigs again. And we're going to go be able to play gigs. We're going to be able to go to gigs. And though, those first few months, I don't know. I think it's going to be like... A, a little bit weird, just like it was going into lockdown and staying at home. But B, how fucking exciting. You can go, oh, yeah, I'm going to see a show or I'm going to go for a meal or like whatever it might be. That is exciting for me now. Now you can start to look at the coming out of this shit thing. That's the exciting bit, right? We can play a gig. Mental. How cool is that going to be? People are going to want to put you on. We're going to have a lot to say as well, musically, because we're going to have this bent up whatever it is and be able to play a gig. And then people are just going to, everyone's going to need it, but everyone's going to want to be there at the same time. So I think the best gigs are about to come along. Like people haven't been able to play a show. People haven't had any money. You know, it's fucking terrible. But imagine that part when people start to get money again, people start to be able to play again, people start to be creative again and hug Fucking mm. hell, man. It's going to be like yeah. when you've taken three pills and they're all duds and then you take one, another one later. Wow! And then, ah! It's a real one. It's all happening. That's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I... I, yeah. I, I Apart I, from the drugs, you know. No, I, uh, drugs as well. If, if they're involved, then so be it. I, I think that's a wonderf- wonderful, optimistic way to look at it. And I think, yeah, what it's not... It's not blindly optimistic. There's a very, it's very possible. I think those of us who are discerning enough to to have, have felt something missing now will 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 have really had our appreciation kind of sense senses rekindled. You know, like I I think I will. You know, we all know there's a big thing missing, Matt. I've created, you know, not just the fact that everything's a bit hard life wise, but the, the creative industry is absolutely on its knees because it's it's trying all these things that are clearly quite fucking daggy um, to what to use an Australian term. But do you know what I mean? Everyone's like, fuck, I guess we'll do this thing online. I mean, we're all talking over teams um, doing a podcast when really what we should be doing is be down the, the studio playing our, our instruments, you know. We're doing this. And that's cool because it's some kind of creative input, right? But... I don't know, but we all know that that's coming. It's exciting. It's exciting. We've got to think about that because otherwise we'll just fucking curl up and become meatloaf, whatever meatloaf's doing. I like meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah. He's an absolute. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, what, what's wrong with uh, He's an uh, absolute what's, what's meatloaf. That chap. Uh, uh, what's the song again? Every, uh, oh, I would do. I any- would do everything yeah. for love, but I won't do that. In Isn't it? Brackets. Anything for love, right? Not everything. He wouldn't do everything for love. He'd do anything. True, true that's true, yeah. <laughs> but not that. <laughs> Whatever that is. No way. No way. Yeah. That how many was that fourteen weeks? Was it Brian Adams or him that had the longest? Yeah, I was gonna I was uh, gonna say I was gonna say everything gonna I do I do that. for you. But it's a different one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The longest Whatever, whoever, time at the number one spot, I'd just like to say. I can guarantee Roland doesn't like either of those. <laughs> no, but he's not here, is he? So we can uh, we can we can talk about oh, uh, mainstream. mainstream. Watch this. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I do like meatloaf. I, I yeah. I mean, do you know why? Do you know why my favorite thing of meatloaf is 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 him playing Eddie in Rocky Horror Show, Rocky Horror oh, Picture yeah, Show. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. But that's that, not meatloaf. That is meatloaf. If you know what I mean. That is pure meatloaf. meatloaf. But that isn't Meatloaf the musician. No, that is Meatloaf at his most musician, musician-ish. Like, (laughs) have you, like, he gets the best song of the musical as well. He gets Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. Have you heard that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing, yeah. Fucking amazing. I've been a few times to Rocky Horror dressed up and all that stuff. Oh, have you? I love it. Yeah, 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 of course. Gotta Um, do it. That that song is amazing. It's like, whatever happened to Saturday night? feelings right. Like it's he he he's he, he's so um, he's so good at um, phonetics. 
Like you, he mm. just gets all these like there's really fast syllables going on through that whole verse, and his rhythm's great. It like yeah. any anyone who's re- like any great singer's got great rhythm. Like his his rhythm's just fantastic, and then especially where they go. It's the thing I love about the rock. I love all Rocky Horror songs. Like they're fucking genius. But that one in particular, the register just lifts up on the chorus. Like it's genuine heightened rock and roll shit, which which is just really kind of blood pumping rock and roll shit. And his voice for that is just it's beautiful. Yeah, it actually reminded me of nothing to do with it, but... uh Another one of my favorite gigs I saw in Vienna uh, years ago, Live in Color. Oh, I, mem- yes. I, I remember this feeling. I saw them many times. Ta- well, I saw them maybe five times in different countries, actually. Amazing. But this one in Vienna was um, somehow special. I don't know. The, it was this small-ish venue, dark, you know. What tour was it? Oh, I can't remember Stain? even which. Uh no, it was later than Stain. It was it was actually around the time when they released the one with um Biscuits or something. Uh, you know, when the twins Twin Towers went down and they had this song about it, about uh, flying or something it was called. Parking okay. lot. I don't know. It was that album. I can't remember what it's called now, quickly. But uh yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago. It was two thousand something. Uh four, three, two thousand and three, two thousand and two, something like that. And I remember the rhythm because you were talking about rhythm. But when it comes to living color, because people, you know, probably quite a lot of people just uh, hear them as a heavy band. Mm. But us or me, I, I don't. It's it, it's so much more than just mm. a heavy band. It was this almost magical connection. The whole rhythm was lifted up. Like I thought I was like, 10 centimeters off the floor, to be honest, with them. It was all a little bit laid back behind the beat. But every single mm. one of them together flying in this, but again, with those heavy, you know, with yeah. those heavy sounds. And it was lighted throughout the whole gig. It was really magical. It was it was much more than just a rock and roll show, actually. I remember going back home from Vienna thinking, oh, this is, this is totally amazing. But the one in particular was somehow really good. And funnily enough, I remember before the gig, Vernon Reed, the guitarist, he was, we were there when he was sound checking for some reason. They let us in, you know, because they don't play like Living Color, don't, you know, they are not, you know, they don't need bouncers, right? Or anything mm-hmm. like that. They are normal people. You can talk to them. So we were in and he was sound checking. <laughs> And uh, I remember he didn't look very happy. And he said to the, he, he had this, because he's using quite a big rig, right? With loads of stereo things plugged in. And then he um, he was standing, standing in front of these two huge monitors. And he said to the sound guy, one sentence. And the sentence was, both sides are wrong. <laughs> so he was just really not happy. Just unhappy. And, and then it was one of the the best gigs um, I've yeah. I've ever heard mm. and seen in my life. So uh, that was that was really cool. The living living color one actually. That's really amazing. amazing, man. It's good to good to hear you say that actually. Well, both Prit and I have a well, I have a massive affinity. That was my first ever show that I ever saw um, on the Stain Tour nineteen. It was in 31st of March. Um, 1993 yeah my first ever show and um, yeah it was fucking incredible like the whole thing was incredible they were my favourite band still are one of my favourite bands and Prit and I managed to go and see them in look it uh, up Greg because we never know where it is it's, it is that, is that a little pub in Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes oh really yeah yeah but it was a cool place man it was just yeah, a good yeah, afternoon nice. it was a really good and Prit and I have talked about Living Colour a lot and um, we've talked about bands of that time a lot, but well, Living I, Colour I, are very yeah. special to me. I, I I feel the same way about Living Colour, and Vernon Reed is one of my favourite guitarists, and and he, you know, it's not just because of all of his rock gymnastics. Like, I just love. I think he's an amazing rhythm player. I I love the way he plays his guitar because I I just can't even figure out why his hand does like you know his plectrum hand. He, he plays it upstroke, doesn't he? It literally looks like this. Yeah. When he's playing, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then, but he's when he plays leads, like 
I do, it's almost like he's he skips in and out of rhythm. Like he 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 he's in rhythm, but then all of a sudden he just goes off and he's jazz as fuck. And and like he, you know, it's not even necessarily the notes that excite me about his playing. It's kind of like just feeling like he's just dancing any fucking way he wants to. You know, like that's the thing that excites me about the way he plays. Um, I, I I think he's a he's a wonderful guitarist. Um, but it's it's interesting when you told me about that living color story because i remember it just for some reason put into my mind when i went and saw i was lucky enough to see d'angelo when he toured voodoo and um that shut up did that you was, really yeah that was one of my favorite shows when i saw him at brixton but that yeah. was maybe 2000 that was when he came back i i i was lucky i was lucky to be wow. turned on to, to voodoo in time brixton academy Yes. It By the was, way, just just before we we go into deep into voodoo, yeah. um, it was called the Crawford Arms in Milton Keynes. Yeah, great that's venue, it. really really cool venue. Really good. Put a song, Crawford Arms. Yeah. If <laughs> if, if you're open, if you're if you're watching, um, <laughs> there's yeah. So D'Angelo and had D'Angelo had recorded the album with a load of superstars, right? And well, just great musicians because he's a great musician as well and he got them on tour with him so and you know shame shamefully i don't know who they are but like, he had was, pino didn't he he had pino, pino Palladino and bass and he had uh q-tip was um not q-tip <laughs> what's his name quest love quest love was playing the drums <laughs> Sorry. yeah 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 um, and likes and and yeah the the band was spectacular i think it was like a nine-piece band i remember there was a guy whose one job was playing he played a octopad and he just played a ride cymbal and a finger snap on every single song he just had to standing out yeah but amazing though he was that, he was amazing when, when it's when it's bang on with Questlove as well jesus christ shut up he I, Questlove I, played later didn't he when we saw him and pino yeah he? i think i think they both were at that gig weren't they but the first time round was very special because i the reason why it was special was because Voodoo was a, a great album. It was quite obviously a great album at the time it came out because you you could hear it and go, "Oh wow, this is this is amazing." And then when he came on tour, we were expecting nothing else other than him sitting at the roads doing voodoo, having a great bunch of musicians, and it feeling like a, like a big jazz club thing. And the first track of the album's uh, what's it called? Devil's Pie, right? Which I don't know if you've heard, but it's, it was produced by DJ Premier, and it's got it's just a it's just a stone cold hip hop like um, production, and he sings he does all this Prince harmony stuff all over it, and it's amazing. And where he's layered layered his track so many times, and he just does all these elegant kind of like sevenths and like high octaves and things like that, and then curves them around, and they all follow each other. It's just really. Um, beautiful stuff that Prince obviously laid out as a template, but it's executed so well all over the album. So we we didn't know what to expect other than we just knew we were going to be seeing a really musical show. And I remember they came out right at the beginning, and the album the album actually starts with this kind of strange voodoo kind of um, um, droney kind of thing, and it fades in at the beginning of the album. And they faded this in at Brixton Academy, and the sound guy must have been on steroids because it was so fucking loud and bass heavy. The whole place felt like it was vibrating. And every, these nine musicians had walked out in these kind of weird monks' cloaks, so you couldn't even see them. So all of a sudden, it was like, oh, we're getting we're getting a theatrical performance here. You know, we're not just getting a bunch of musos coming on stage. And they're all walking around with these kind of like hooded cloaks and kind of bumping into each other and walking around with this just backlit light. And it and it and the whole place felt kind of voodoo-y. It was kind of like, oh, we're going with a Black Magic Theatre vibe. And then the guy, finger snap guy starts up. So the ride and the snap. Ding, ding, da, ding, 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 da. And there's no, there's that hip hop thing's not happening. And they just do this like um, production version of, devil's pie like literally with the three backing singers d'angelo and everyone else in kind of in their positions with their monks cloaks on and just the finger snap guy and they're just doing it to a rhythm and they see i think he sung like two and a half verses of like two verses two choruses and it's kind of like oh this is how they're doing the song and i remember thinking 
wow, this is really bold just to choose to do it like that anyway. And it was wonderful, like all the harmonies, they'd really worked on all that gliding stuff that he does on the record. And it was just, it sounded amazing. And then all of a sudden there was just like a horn blat on that kind of coming out of that third verse. And the whole band kicked off, their monk's cloaks went off, house lights came up, and then all of a sudden there was just hip, it was a proper hip hop jam. And the crowd were doing this, and we were like 10 minutes into the gig, and the whole place had just like turned into steam and sweat, and it was rocking. And this gig was rocking all the way through, and everything just had this massive live energy to it. And it was so exciting, and song after song, it was just spectacular. And there was such good musicianship, all of a sudden a production of a song would just break every now and again and something musical would happen that's that you know is being improvised in the moment so this whole thing was just beautiful and engaging and just powerful and it was kind of like whoa we're seeing like a superstar here and he was a superstar and then he got put in jail and then disappeared for many years (laughs) he did what was he put in jail for i don't know you're probably going to google it and it's going to be something that's going to make us Go off him. Yeah, there was stuff there was stuff to do with prozies, but I don't know I don't think that, that was that was then. I think it was maybe afterwards. Is know. it kind of acceptable prozzy stuff or is it kind of me too no, vibes? I would imagine I'd imagine it's me too vibes less less If you get put in jail, I mean it's gotta be along those lines, right? Don't do um, it, Greg. If it's really bad. But Pritz, I keep thinking about your guitar because he's a, so it's a bullet, right? Yeah. And you had it done in silver. That, that, that makes it a silver bullet. Oh, it does. So you can kill vampires. I don't know. You can kill whatever. I'm going to write that on my, um, this, this guitar kills vampires. Have, you, have you been to the silver bullet in Finsbury Park? Have you played there? Just opposite the train station. I played there many no. times, actually. Yeah, it's a pub. Okay. It's actually on, it's a bus bus station near, in front of the tube station and train station, Finsbury Park. Mm. And it's called Silver Bullet. Um, I've, I've heard of it. I've heard of the venue. I, we might have been trying to get a gig there at some point. We were, we, we were meant to play the Rage Against the Machine after party there, after the, they played the Fins, Finsbury Park. But not that they would turn up, but there was an after party. Yeah. But I don't think it happened for some reason. It didn't. But uh, it was, uh, I remember, after the gig in, they did in Finsbury Park, actually. Yeah. Oh, cool that place. would have been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have to play Rage Against the Machine covers? No, 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 no. It was just someone who knew someone. So that kind of a thing. But okay. we were heavy enough. So. Nice. Do you... I, do you, I mean, what were the first bands that you got into? Were they heavy bands? No. No, not at all. Uh, well, like when I was 15, you mean? Yeah, well, when you started playing. No, no, it was very bands. clean. It was very much, um, it was, um, we were writing instrumental songs and it seemed seemed like I think we were influenced by, mostly by the 60s, if, if not the 50s, actually. But then it changed very quickly because uh, this was in the 90s. So, you know, uh, grunge was around us heavily, uh, you know, influencing everyone. But um, then it changed. And then um, for some reason, there were many bands after that uh, I was involved with. Mm. Um, I, I don't think there was a genre which I which I wouldn't play, actually. Uh, I've probably played all of them. But that's um, the best way to be, right? Because then you can you can use all those influences for when you do make music in whatever style you're making at that time. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't regret anything. I, I, um, I mean, I understand. It, it must be really cool to be in one band with your uh, schoolmates, mm. you know, from the age of 14 until you all die, like <laughs> you two or something. I don't know. It must be, it must be really yeah, cool. Yeah, there must be something amazing uh, about but, it. But at the same it's time, I mean, boring. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, after you release your 12th album, then uh, I mean it's 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 really nice to meet other people and do um I mean to the extent where I used to be in this funk band and I and I had to 
move so I wouldn't be hit by the trombone. I mean, that's not the greatest experience, <laughs> I know, but it's fun. It's fun that mm. I remember, you know, mm. then this rhythm guitar and, uh, you know, uh, trying not to get killed by the trombone, uh, which is cool. I was behind him and, you know, mm. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, and also what I really like is being on stage with like one singer, for example, which is totally, you know, this kind of naked thing where you, you, there's nowhere to hide. You've got one guitar or maybe mm. one guitar, one bass. That's it. And um, every note is, you know, sort of important. important. I, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Maybe maybe because that comes from my classical background as well. I'm not sure. But uh, what, what is your different. classical background? Well, classical guitar. Uh, yeah. I studied, yeah. Well, it's different, you know, it's, it's not rock and roll. But uh, it makes you... It makes you think about every single note if you when you're playing some 20th century modern uh, classical piece, uh, uh, you know, four or five pages of it, mm-hmm. and you spend three four months learning it, and then you play it in front of people who know every single note because it's your teachers and or whatever it's a competition or your exams or something, mm. and you need to, you know, it's quite a uh, nerve wracking. But that's really cool. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that I, I did it. So. Do you still get nervous? No. You never get nervous playing a gig? Uh, only good nervous. Like, I get nervous if I don't play a gig, to be honest. I I, 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 I mean, that little, that sort of adrenaline rush, I, I, I consider really pleasant now. Mm-hmm. I didn't maybe when I was 12, maybe I, maybe I thought I was, you know, maybe it wasn't that pleasant. But now it's something I, um, I miss, actually. Mm. I think I think it mm-hmm. if anything then I think if anything then it, it makes me play better to be honest than than at home. It's just that extra thingy sure. which I actually honestly really miss this uh, a lot. I think it's a part of the thing I'm talking about with my favorite gigs where it can it it cannot happen at a rehearsal or at home. It has to be with that extra uh, you know, with that tiny bit of pressure being in front of people and trying your best. I think that's a big part of it for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's interesting. You're just making me think of another moment I really enjoyed when I had a gig once, and it, it's and it's probably similar to, to to what Greg's talking about that that thing that where you feel good and then good things happen. Because I remember being at a gig once where that, that was when Johnny and I just used to go around with I, I'd play guitar and there was a drum machine and he'd sing a bit <laughs> and sometimes he'd strap on a guitar so we were really going to strip doing a stripped down version but I remember we had the drum machine going and then this section I play a guitar solo I just have like you know 16 bars for a guitar solo or something and um, we we're playing in some pub in Camden and I remember really enjoying the sound check actually because the guy told me to 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 you know get my line check going and then he was like keep it going keep it going and then you know and i'm always very polite with a sound engineer i'm always very sensitive to them and just trying to make sure i'm not stepping on their toes and mm-hmm. you know just trying to make sure i'm trying to get help them get get it right so i, I was being very conservative about playing for him he's just like yeah no it's, it's all right and there was two dudes sitting in the audience just oh sorry in the bar just just kind of watching the sound chip just having a pint and they're all quite clearly musicians and then i just started playing some like blues like fast blues on on while i had a really good crunch sound on and they were both just jumping up and like whooping I and mean, this was a sound check and it was really fun like it and then they came up and they were like yeah, yeah you, you know you're a great guy and we should jam one day yeah yeah, yeah see you later and never <laughs> saw them again in my life um but then i remember that during the gig when we we're on stage um there is something that happens that that little adrenaline thing that you're talking about and for, for me sometimes i've been at my most clear minded when i'm in on stage and i remember the the moment happened on um for my guitar solo bit where i just show off and i'm as wanky as i like just 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 so it's theatrical because it was just two of us on stage and i just done that thing where i hit that first note and then you know when you turn to the right angle and the all of a sudden the feedback started like i was just in the right line with my amp the amount of noise coming through the monitor and my position on the stage and i just got this feedback loop started immediately on my first note 
And I just had the presence of mind to not disrupt it. And so I ended up playing like this 16-bar solo of just one single note feedback line. And that's all it was. And I remember as soon as that finished and we got back into the back into the groove, the whole fucking crowd were like, yeah, like it was like the best solo I've ever done. Like, and, and <laughs> all I did was just like hold the note. But because I think what must have happened was I, 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 I just had the clarity to recognize this was the right thing and then just yeah, be guided yeah. by this note. And it must have been, for me, it was hypnotic enough to be kind of mesmerized by it. And I can only, I can only, maybe I'm romantically fictionalizing it, but I like to think that perhaps the, the audience who were paying attention might have seen that in that moment as well and recognized that was just the right thing to do. They gave you good feedback. That's it. They did. One feedback. One feedback leads to another. <laughs> it, it's, Terrible. It's, the, it's the silver bullet, man. It's just you can't. Did you have the silver bullet? It was the silver bullet. <laughs> <laughs>